I'm passionate about education. I'm passionate about responsibility. And whenever you mandate something, what I've seen, what brief time in the military, time in law enforcement, certainly providing training to a lot of the public sector, military, law enforcement, uh, licensed security. When you mandate something, people seem to become less interested in the actual material. And they're really just there to sort of check the box, collect the certificate and get on to whatever they were interested in. You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. muted myself there <laughs> welcome listening audience well, and welcome back jake to the old way of doing things yeah <laughs> you know we got one out of the way with no technical glitches and now we're back to glitchiness so i'll fault myself for that hello listening audience my name is jake wiskirchen i'm the co-host of the show joining me is michael sedini all the way from las vegas nevada and we have someone with us uh who is familiar with an organization called Walk the Talk America, and he's here to talk about what Walk the Talk America does. Hello, Rob Pincus. That's not why you're Hey, doing. how are you doing, guys? It's uh, <laughs> it's good to be back on the podcast. You guys have been, I don't know about technical glitches, man. I, I, I've tried podcasting off and on. I have the Rob Pincus podcast that I do sporadically. You guys you guys have really like dove, dove into podcasting, what, I don't even know how long ago now, and it seems to me like you're one of the most professional podcasts I listen to in the firearms world anyway so maybe maybe mental health world does better podcasting i think you guys are on fire for the standard in the gun community i will share that uh in the mental health realm uh, noggin notes is an elite podcast uh that may or may not be hosted by me <laughs> but uh thanks for for joining us i was teasing there obviously you're not here to talk about wtta but uh you are a board uh, member of ours. Yeah. but i could someday i'll write the behind the scenes book I don't know if anybody would want to read that. I don't know if I want to read that. <laughs> my mom would. My mom would read it. Yeah. It's a cathartic exercise. So what's up, dude? Oh, man. It's uh, it's nearing the end of the 2022 Personal Defense Network training tour. Um, as usual, the, the you know zigzagging across the country and, and getting to spend time with folks uh, from like literally every conceivable uh, facet of United States gun owning demographic. I even taught down in Mexico this year for the first time. I've obviously been down there a lot, but for the first time I actually taught um, civilian gun owners down in Mexico and, and interacted with them and, and sort of got a peek into their culture uh, in the firearms owning community down there a little bit. So uh, it's been, it's been a great 2022. You know, I thought I might use that COVID pause when we, we had to cancel the tour in 2020 to scale way back and, uh, you know, I guess I should have known better because I just kept saying, oh, yeah, let's get back. Oh, we'll come back. Yes, we'll definitely train there. Oh, a new place? Sure. I didn't even know that range was open. Oh, we opened right before COVID, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, 2022 was busier than 2019. Wow. And I guess that's sort of predictable. 
given the explosion of gun buying that happened, but uh, I don't know that you can necessarily link that to interest in training and ranges opening. If there are new ranges opening, I don't know about that, but uh, that's, that's kind of cool that more people are interested in becoming proficient at shooting. Yeah. And it's, and you know, for me at that level, it's me saying yes to people that want to host training. Now, some of those classes are full and some of the classes aren't full. Um, so it's still hit or miss. I think we're still dealing with some lag from those new gun owners. I always say when there's a new gun owning group, uh, for whatever reason, it may be, if it's political reason, if it's, if it's, uh, societal, like I think the COVID, you know, motivation was, uh, there's always a lag time between the, the rush to purchase guns and people showing up to training saying, yeah, you know, after Sandy Hook, I, I felt like I needed to get a gun. Or when Obama was elected and I thought the guns were all going to go away, I felt like I needed to go out and buy a gun. Uh, now I think it'll be 2023, maybe even into 2024, 25, when we have people say, yeah, you know, I bought the gun during the COVID thing, or I bought the gun when there were riots in all the major cities across America. And, and it's just kind of sat there and, and I was glad I didn't need it, but I've been meaning to get this training done. And by golly, I'm glad I'm here now. Um, which is great. It's better, you know, better then than never. Um, but as always, we're, we're trying to preach responsible gun ownership. And, you know, I, I think that starts at the retail counter or maybe it starts in the magazine advertisement. Um, and, and that's one of the ways that the work I do in the training world overlaps with the work that we do at Walk Talk America is just trying to get people to understand that, you know, this, this thing that's your, it's your right to own comes with a lot of responsibilities. Yeah, and speak of that overlap, you've got a new thing going called the Gun Pro Pledge. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, maybe maybe this is the time to do it. So why don't you explain what that is? Amazing segue. This is the most professional podcast in any genre, as far as I'm concerned. Mike, Mike are you not, does he do this all the time with other guests too, or is that just? Did he hey, say man, you said you listen. <laughs> you listen. You should know this. Yes, of course I do. So, Gun Pro. Uh, you, you know, I, Jake, I don't remember if you were in the room, but I know Mike, you were there, uh, when we originally talked about this idea with some, some media representatives and a lot of leadership. Uh, I think you were there, right? Jake? Shot, that was a shot in uh, 2020. Yeah, shot 2020. So we, we talked about this idea of the pledge of responsible ownership and it was a, a very young idea. And the idea was that we create some system, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a formality to what I think a lot of gun owners do anyway, which is you know, three things. The, the pledge is three commitments. We seek education. We promote education. We, we try to prevent unauthorized access. We make sure we, we control and secure our guns. And more and more, and largely, I think, because of the work of Walk Talk America, we recognize that there are times when it's not a good idea to have guns in our immediate access and our immediate possession. And, and while, you know, I may have felt that way for a long time about things like, you know, while I'm drinking, I don't carry a gun. Um, it's only been, you know, the last few years and, and really the education that's come with uh, being able to be affiliated with Walk Talk America that I realized there's also emotional, uh, mental uh, stress crisis moments or obvious moments of potential crisis where it's also a good idea to separate ourselves from our guns. So, you know, those are the three commitments. We One promises to get the education appropriate to their firearms and what they want to do with them. Um, we, we promise to take steps to prevent unauthorized access to our guns. And we promise to separate ourselves from the guns in times of uh, extreme emotional stress or crisis. And what the 
pledge does is it recruits two people, um, supporters, we refer to them as, to help us achieve those goals. And the idea is I'm going to go to two trusted friends and I'm going to say, look, I, I have guns in my life, or maybe I'm a first time gun buyer. I'm going to, to be buying my first gun. I am committing to these things. I want you to sort of witness it. And if you can agree to help me out, you know, it doesn't mean you have to put me on an all expenses paid training vacation trip to get my education, but maybe recommend free training at, you know, PDN or something like that. Um, just, just in any way. And especially for that last point, which we all know is so important, having that friend uh, that's going to be there to either, you know, take control of the guns or take control of some critical component of the guns or help me find a, a gun dealer that will take them in or, or something like that. You know, just somebody maybe even to talk to at that time of crisis to keep me from opening up that safe when I probably don't need to have the gun in my hand. And, and that's uh, so the gun pro is a formalization of that. And that, that pledge of responsible ownership over the course of COVID and, and thinking and rethinking of how that should actually be presented to people. It's now been completely decentralized. And the idea is we're providing this idea uh, and the idea, I think, is a valid one. And it's one that 99.9% that .9 of people that I put in front of, they get it. And then they start asking the typical gun community questions. They say, well, well, where does this pledge go? You know, where does the information, who gets the information? Um, do I have to show my ID? What if I, what if I, somebody does steal my gun? Does that mean I violated the pledge? Uh, well, I don't know. Like, did you leave it un, like unsupervised in your front yard? And, or did you lock it up in a safe and somebody broke into your safe? And if you and if you violate the pledge, what's that mean? Do, do I get arrested? Do I get fined? Do I do I have to pay a penance? You know, look, man, don't overcomplicate it, right? And that's really what we've done. It's kind of like cause a pause. Don't overcomplicate it. It's it's a commitment between you and and yourself, really. It's witnessed by two other people that we hope you know you can rely on. Uh, tragically, I mean, I just had I, I I talked about this two months ago in front of a group of instructors. And just earlier today, I had a call this morning with a buddy who had a friend, someone I did not know, who committed suicide. And in the conversation with him about how he's dealing with that and sort of the aftermath and some of that stuff, he said, you know, it's like that thing you were talking about on the range. I mean, I just I kind of wish like, what if he had reached out to me? What if he had committed to me that he wasn't going to have guns around under certain conditions? And and. That's really, I'm saying it out loud now. It's been a few hours since I had that conversation and I'm realizing it's the first time that somebody has said to me, I wish that we had had that in place, you know, and that's why I guess that's all the motivation I need to keep putting it out there. Yeah. I love the fact, like to me, it's very similar to, you know, I had a conversation the other day with a, a really good friend of mine and he was talking about if something were ever to happen to him, he, he would want me to step in and help with his children. And it was a commitment I made to him. Like you, you have that commitment for me. You know what I mean? I, I don't expect anything to happen, but you know, I, it's the, the same along the same lines. People make commitments all the time to each other when they love each other. Um, and it doesn't have to be like in a registry somewhere. Like, right. You know what I mean? And like, that's what I love about it is you're, you're, it's giving us the ability to talk, talk about these things and say like, you know, if you're ever in a bad space, right? Like you come to me first before you do anything. And it's not even ability. Because I think I think we are maturing, and we and I think it's more in, as a community. I think we're, we understand that that we should be doing that. I think this creates an oppor another opportunity, yeah. right? So exactly. so it's saying, okay, now I have this piece of paper. I can send somebody a link to the website, and, and I I see it as a combination of our cause a pause concept too, or like an extension of a cause a pause concept. Because now instead of just that picture of my daughter on the safe, when I open up the safe. 
I, on the inside of it, I've got my pledge paper with, you know, your name and Jake's name on it that reminds me this is going to impact other people too. And, and these are two people who recognize that this moment might come and let me take the, the opportunity to pause and reach out. You know, in the suicide prevention realm, we call that a protective factor. A lot of times people center on the risk factors of like what's going to cause somebody to take their own life or do something destructive. And we often fail to consider the protective factors, things like family. And sometimes I understand there's going to be a pushback says, well, sometimes people think that their family is a burden and that's the risk factor. Okay, well, whatever. But it's a reminder that things matter to you and you matter to those things or those people. And if you can be reminding yourself of that in that moment of crisis, it can sometimes knock you out of that that fleeting moment of impulse and pull you into a better spot. Says, well, okay, I'm, instead of picking up the gun, I'm going to pick up the phone. And, and I really appreciate that. I think my, from my perspective, we, we bellyache a lot about how society has become overly litigious and how attorneys run everything and we need you know forms and notarizations and all these things. It's like, yeah, but I just had uh, my, my clinical director is one of my best friends, Jesse, um, drop his dog off at when he went camping. We cared, we looked after the dog and uh, we watch his pets from time to time and he watches our pets from time to time. And we don't need that notarized. We don't need that certified. We don't need to send it off to something. And this is, a, a I think, a, a little bit of a move forward out of the overly litigious culture where we've got to point to accountability under the law to make things happen. And it's like, well, maybe we just need to rewind the clock a few hundred years and do things with a with a handshake and a and a certainty that we're cared for and that we care for each other and we just look out for each other. And it's, I love the decentralization part of it. Um, you know, it assuages a lot of fears too. Yeah. It's the, it's a trust factor. Um, even still, you know, I, I've had, I had one, uh, gun shop owner tell me that, you know, she ran it by some of her staff and that was their concern was that, you know, there's a clause in there about how we're trying to prevent harm. Right. And through the actions that we're taking and harm to ourselves or others, and that like somebody well, wait a minute, I have guns for defensive purposes. I, I actually own guns to harm someone who's trying to hurt me or my family. So I can't take this pledge in good conscience. And it's like when you start parsing the concepts down that far and start like overthinking it, I think you you lose the vision. Right. So my response is, okay, cool. Forget the piece of paper, like, but still go find a couple people that will support you in seeking education, preventing unauthorized access and separating yourself from access to the guns during times of crisis. Like you can still do those things and you don't even need the paper, you know? And, and well, do I need to tell? No, you don't need to tell anybody. Just understand the concept and, and run with it. And what yeah, you- am I- Go ahead, Mike. No, I was going to say one of the things that bugs me the most about, I guess the, um, Anyone that's not in the community, right? One of the, if I were to go take a, a poll and say, like, what are, what is something you think about the firearms owners, right? I think number one answer would be they just don't care. They right. don't care about right. And and this is another example of us coming forward and saying that we do care. Like we care about each other. We care about humanity. Like we we don't want to see people in pain. We don't want to see people die with firearms. So it's just another example of us moving forward. I feel like, you know, that's worked against us for many years, not stepping forward and doing, doing, or it's not a virtue signal, right? It's, it's literally doing something. It is. And, and it's, it's so frustrating for me over the years, you know, classic example, trade shows going on. uh, One in particular that, that always comes to mind as an example, people inside the community, this is one of those trade shows. It's not really a trade show. It's more like an event, right? So it's open to the public. It's not just like shot shows, just trade. 
and uh, a guy was in a booth and he wanted to check a holster. So he pulls his gun like right there, violates the rules of the convention, violates the rules of the operation. Like it was legal for him to carry his gun concealed, but clearly it was like signs all over the place, right? If you're carrying your gun for defense, don't pull it out of your holster unless you need to. He pulls the gun out of the holster, tries to check the fit, fires a round off and it hits the ground. Nobody gets hurt. And the, the vendor starts packing his stuff up. And instead of taking that as a learning opportunity for the community and saying, hey, even at this big event that you've all heard of, where you know hundreds of thousands of people were coming through over the course of a week, this accident happened through negligence because someone violated our rules and did something that they should have known better and the vendor should have known better and everybody should have known better, but it happened. Don't let it happen again. The concentric circle throughout the like convention floor around that booth by the people hosting the event was, we don't want anybody to talk about this. We don't want the media to know about it. No social media. Anybody who's caught talking about that event or say, acknowledging that it happened is not going to be allowed back next year. And it's like, we fear doing the responsible thing because it quote unquote could be used against us. Right. So guess what? It was on the local news anyway. It was covered anyway. It's talked about anyway. And how much better would it be to go out and meet it head on and just say, yeah, this happened. It shouldn't have happened. We thought we had things in place to keep it from happening. We're going to redouble our efforts and remind everybody, you know, one, two, and three. And we don't do a good job of that historically. And, And even like Walk Talk America, right? Like admitting that there's something to be talked about at the intersection of guns and mental health is something that nobody was comfortable with five years ago. Very few people were comfortable with five years ago. You're, you're speaking to something that I work a lot with clinically called vulnerability and people don't like to be vulnerable because it can, it comes with risk, risk of what pain, you know, somebody could whack you, somebody could shame you, somebody could, you know, uh, violate that trust and then you're hurting. And what we're inviting here is actually more vulnerability, the vulnerability to say, I'm going to step into a, a position of asking for assistance in advance of needing it. And that's something that resilient people, strong-willed people, uh, protectors, defenders tend not to want to do. Uh, we tend to lock ourselves in our own minds and say, oh, I've got it all figured out. It's like, well, that's cool. But have you shared your plan with other people, like your family? Do they know what to do in an emergency? Well, oh, I don't know. If I acknowledge that I'm planning for this, it all almost acknowledges that I'm, I'm sort of weak and, and I can't save the world or prevent bad things from happening. It's like, yeah, but that's how we do it. We communicate, we train, we, we share things. And the, it, it, for, for me, uh, you know, being a relative outsider, those last three years or so I've joined the, up in the gun community, I'm noticing this resistance to being vulnerable. It's starting to erode, which is super cool, as more and more people come forward and they say, yeah, I recognize that had I asked for help, I probably wouldn't have lost five years of my life, you know, wandering in misery or whatever. And so that's really encouraging. And I think this is just another step forward to inviting vulnerability and saying it's okay to be to acknowledge your areas of, of weakness and rely on others to help you through it. The, you know, well, in our cultural competency work, right, it, it's firearms owners want to be in control and they want to be self-sufficient. And like the exact opposite, right, is what you're talking about, is I'm right. going to acknowledge I may not have enough control over this situation to be self-sufficient and therefore x y and z and it's uh as you said i think those walls are coming down um but there will be some people who are resistant to it that's fine um i get i get it the more we talk about it the more we normalize it you know i uh, there's some foolishness i think that comes with not taking opportunities to learn um in in the example i gave like the negligence example 
Um, but then when it comes to the, the personal commitment and planning side, I think that's much more personal and subjective and people are going to find their own way to that. Well, with more conversation comes more internal peer pressure, if you will, on, on everybody else to say, well, if everybody else is doing it and I'm the only holdout, maybe I should reconsider my position on this. And that was one of the things I was going to ask before you said 99.9% .9 of the people are finding this pretty acceptable is, you know, how many people are interested versus uh, Rob's all wet. He's, he's on some tangent that we can't get on board with. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's, it all, it kind of depends on the presentation, right? If, if, if I say in some non, you know, structured way to sort of in the midst of a conversation or midst of a group of uh, conversation I'm talking to with a group like a classroom is, so guys, look, we're, we're all committed to this, this, and this, right? And the last one might have to be a little bit more nuanced, right? Because the first two are too easy, right? They're in a class. They're, people are talking to me. They know I'm an educator in a space. We're, we as responsible gun owners, we're committed to education and, and best practices and safe use. We're, we're committed to preventing unauthorized access, securing our guns, staging or storing. Uh, and, and obviously, we're becoming more and more aware that there are times when you shouldn't have a gun around. And again, I was sort of like toe in the water. You know, if I'm, if I'm planning on taking a bunch of shots and celebrating my buddy getting married and we're going to a bachelor party, there's no reason for me to be carrying a gun. It's probably a bad idea. And 99% of the people in the gun community would agree with that. Now, when it gets to, if I'm having a glass of wine with dinner, they may not agree with me, right? Cause I'm, I'm like glass of wine with dinner. I'm still not going to carry. They may say, no, if I'm going to drive, I don't mind carrying. Okay. I get that. I can respect that. And I can understand that. So if I go to an extreme example of a time when you want to separate yourself from guns, people will, will nod and agree. If I go right to mental health, depending on the audience, there are some people who just, they aren't, they aren't there. They aren't tuned in. They, they haven't been educated to that, that aspect of it. They haven't heard of the work that, that Walk Talk America is doing, or they don't understand kind of the, the nature of the impulsiveness of many suicides. Right. And, and so the idea that you're that you're actually going to take all the guns out of your house or take all the firing pins out of your house or you're going to you know have that box with the gun in it and you're going to give it to your trusted friend or you're going to take your guns to a gun dealer is still foreign to some people in the gun community so that's really the the hard one right is is the third level now once i explain the third level and i break it down i think I'll, then i'm at that 99% they're like okay yeah i get the third commitment i understand that one too Although what I do believe is the vast majority of people, and I would put myself in this category, you know, five years ago as well, that are nodding, not, not, maybe not the vast majority. A lot of the people that are nodding are thinking them, not me. All right. Let's take a moment and pause right now and thank our sponsors, Ruger and Arms Corps. They are our two platinum sponsors. We would love to have more platinum sponsors and you can get a shout out on this podcast as well. We really appreciate their support because they are some uh, pretty big heavy hitters in the industry. And when we have the backing of companies with such great reputations and uh, long-standing presence in the industry, we know that it will echo through to other people and give legitimacy to this guns and mental health thing that we're doing. So, if you're uh, if you're fans of Ruger and Rock Island Armor, uh, Armory and Ro Arms Corps, please reach out to them and give them thanks. Let them know that you heard their. Uh, support on here and give them your support by purchasing their products. And if you've never heard of them, check them out. You go to Ruger.com and armscore.com and find out what they have to offer and what they sell. We'll say that uh, I've shot some Armscore ammo. We recently had John McLean on and uh, their ammo is fantastic. And Mike Sedini attests to them making some of the best 1911s on the planet. 
personally, I can say for Ruger, I have owned a few Ruger firearms, including my uh, hand-me-down Mark I that I got from my dad, who got from his brother. Uh, and I also own a 1022 takedown model that I bought specifically for my children to learn how to shoot. And uh, it's been great. So thank you to those two companies. I really appreciate your support. And we here uh, continue to promote you the best that we can. If you'd like to sponsor the show, reach out to us, admin at WTTA.org. And we will be happy to take your support in whatever form in which it may come. Now back to the show. I can see where in general that's a good idea, but I don't think I would I would never be in that situation, right? So I've matured, I think, to an understanding that that while I, I don't think I've ever encountered that moment, I certainly see where it could show up, right? And and just that awareness I think is so important, right? The it's almost like I talk about trauma mitigation, right? The idea that that if you sell guns, you need to be aware that somebody may kill themselves with that gun or, or that somebody may commit a crime with that gun or somebody may leave that gun loaded and a kid may die through their negligence with that gun. And if you don't accept those realities, now you're going to be more traumatized when you find out it happened potentially, right? So at least accepting those things, I also hope will motivate you to do the things you need to do in terms of education and responsibility to prevent them. I think it's kind of the same thing with this. Like, I'm going to be less traumatized and less hesitant to, you know, call Mike up and say, Mike, I need you to rent a U-Haul and come out to Colorado and pick up all my guns, you know, and just get them out of my house for a while because of the space I'm in. I'm going to be less hesitant to do that because I've accepted that it's a reality, that the possibility is a reality. Right. And I've already said it out loud. Now, granted, it's probably, it's probably easier for somebody who lives across town than for to get Mike to come do it. But maybe the day is going to come where I'm not ready to talk to that person across town, but I know I can talk to Mike and and Mike would show up, right? So just saying those words out loud, podcast or not, I think helps prepare me for that moment. And that's one of the things that I I hope even the conversation around gun pro is doing for people so that whether they they sign up for, they take the pledge or whether they sign their company up, you know, we have a list of, um, we've only been, been publicly listing supporters for like two weeks. We've already got dozens of companies, organizations, retailers, ranges, instructors listed there. And that's a next step, right? So if people go to gunpropledge.org, they're going to see the pledge. They're going to see the commitments. They're the PDF form. They can download uh, to use the form there. They can distribute it electronically from there, whatever they need to do. But down at the bottom of the page, they'll see organizations that are supporting it. And these are organizations and companies and instructors and ranges and retailers who are publicly saying, yes, we recommend gun owners do this. How that manifests itself, I don't know, and I don't care, right? And nobody involved. Like, if that means every person who buys a gun gets a copy of the pledge, great. If that means whenever a new gun owner comes in, you recommend the pledge to them verbally across the counter, great. If it means you put a gun pro sticker in your window and you're, you're hoping someone's going to ask, what's gun pro? And then you're going to talk about it, that's okay too. Um, or maybe it's just the fact that you put your name on that list. And kind of like you said earlier, Jake, it'll normalize this for other companies or other individuals. And they'll say, wow, if this many instructors and this many industry companies, or organizations are supporting this, it's probably a good idea. I'll take a closer look. I don't care. Um, just the, the more names and more organizations and more support we can get, and the more normalizing we can get around these conversations, the, the better off we all are. There's an old uh, story about a, a, a warthog and he's up against a tree and he's sharpening his tusks. And uh, another another warthog comes by. And he's like, "What are you doing?" Because I'm sharpening my tusks. 
He says, look, what are, you, are you kidding me? There's, there's not a hunter around for miles. We haven't seen hunters in, in this area even for years. He goes, yeah, but when the hunter shows up, I'm not going to have time to sharpen my husks, my tusks. And so that's what we're doing. We're sharpening our tusks now. Uh, I, sh- I share the story from time to time that, you know, if I'm going to be taken seriously in this space, then I have to be doing the cause of pause myself. So on my safes, I have the Walk the Talk America Guns and Mental Health podcast stickers, one on each side of the, the, the touchpad. Because if I, I don't plan on ever finding myself in that situation, but if I do, I want that to stop me because it will, if I take my own life, I'm going to be invalidating not only my whole work, but the work of other people. So that is the thing that I know will stop me in that moment. It may not be my kids if I've irrationally considered that they're the reason I should die because I think I'm a burden to them or something. So I've pre-planned, I've sharpened my tusks in advance of that, hopefully, you know, that moment that never comes. And if we're pre-planning, then you're right. It's not going to be such a paralyzing moment that we get tunnel vision and think that there's only one option out. So I really applaud that. I have a question about the PRO because it's, it's, um, it's capitalized. Is that an acronym? Yeah. Pledge of responsible ownership. There we go. Yeah. So the gun, gun pro, we say gun pro pledge and I get it. It's kind of redundant when we start but, uh, the gun pro sort of the, the brand, the sticker, the patch or whatever it is, but the pledge of responsible ownership is what, what that's all about. And uh, yeah, I think I think that you, know, you said something there. You don't you aren't planning on it, but you're planning for it, right? And that's kind of what we all do with self defense and security. Is we're not planning on shooting somebody this afternoon, but I'm planning for when I take my daughter to. She's got roller skating lessons this afternoon, right? So when I take her to the roller skating ring, I'm not planning on shooting anybody, but I've planned for it, and and I've also got you know my tourniquet, right? Where I'm far more likely to need the medical equipment than I am the gun, but I'm also not planning on treating anybody for medical trauma, you know, this afternoon. That was something that jumped out at me uh, when I first met you was you took people through this course that we first taught in 2019, uh, the, the, the cultural competence course. We had uh, 12 or 14 people in in our presence and, and you demonstrated that you pulled up your pant leg and showed the, the med kit that you, you Velcro around your ankle. And I thought, wow, I had never considered that. And then you even said that phrase, you're far more likely to need to attend to somebody medically than ever to deploy your firearm. And, you know, that could be a car accident. That could be a kid slipping off a curb and turning his ankle. It could be a whole bunch of things that have nothing at all to do with self-defense, but uh, rendering aid in a time of need. How do you, I mean, two questions here. One is, when you talk about that, how many people in the audience have the same reaction I did where they go, whoa, that's new, that's different, I didn't consider that. And then the follow-up is, where do you recommend we go get training on something like tourniquet application? Because I don't, I wouldn't know how to do that unless I took a you know first aid course. Yeah, uh, the first one is, you know, it's always hard to, to guess. I mean, I, I like to think that 10 years ago, that was a lot more interesting and, and like jaw, uh, maybe not jaw-dropping, but but jarring to hear that the gun guy is more worried about carrying medical equipment around in his car or in his carry on or on his person, you know, than it is today. Because I think in the gun community, people have caught up uh, to a large degree, you know, personal defense network or IC training company, we started recommending for the students and requiring for our instructors that we had certain emergency medical gear on the range and that we showed it to everybody and we talked about it. Cause I think that's, again, the key is talking about it. It's great if we're prepared and ready, but that's just us on that day. We've got 12 people responsible for on that range who we know are going to go spend time on other ranges without us, 
So if we can say, hey, we're doing this, this is important. If you think the gun stuff's important, cool. Guess what? This is important too. You should do it. Well, now maybe six of the 12, oh, sometime in the next few months, go take, a, you know, you ask the question to stop the bleed class or take a classroom from, take an online class at personaldefensenetwork.com or they take a class from one of our affiliated instructors like Lone Star Medics. And there's plenty of great people out there teaching this stuff. Um, right there in Reno, you, you've got a guy named Derek who teaches out of Reno Guns and Range. And he's a, a paramedic. He teaches medical courses there. He teaches all over the place. Um, there are so many great places now connected to the gun community and the personal defense community that are in tune with medical training. Um, and of course, because of active shooter response training all over the country, the Stop the Bleed program has become incredibly popular and, and can be found in virtually every you know major, major city, for, well, every city for sure. And every major town is going to offer something from Stop the Bleed. Very simple classes, free classes, and people can learn the basics. Um, one of the other things that, that I think it does is it, in the, in the settings like where you saw me talk about it, it is somewhat, um, I don't know, I think there's a legitimacy to the concept of I'm prepared for an emergency to someone who's outside of the gun community when I'm, because that's what a gun owner is going to say, right? Well, just in case, I've got my gun just in case, if I need it, it could happen. And I think a lot of people outside of the gun community are like, I've never felt like the likelihood was high enough to justify this, bring this right. tool into my house and having the safe and getting the permit, all the things you got to do. I just never felt that way. But then you say, but, but it's not just that I'm, I'm generally a prepared person. I'm generally someone who's willing to go through a little extra effort to be ready for things that aren't incredibly likely. And that's why I carry this medical kit around, or that's why I have this medical equipment in my car as well. Uh, I think most people would, would nod if you said, so having a fire extinguisher in your house, that's not extreme, right? Nope. Makes sense. In fact, right. Yep. But if you actually say, how many of you have an actual fire extinguisher in your house to the average, you know, gathering, just stop everybody at a restaurant one night and say, Hey, quick show of hands who has a fire extinguisher. And then when's the last time you checked the pressure gauge on it? And where is it? Is it in the garage underneath a tarp behind the extra, you know, bicycle that nobody's ridden in 12 years, or is it under your kitchen sink? And if it's under your kitchen sink, is your stove right there? Or is it on the other side of your kitchen? Because if the, that area is a flame, are you even going to be able to get to it, right? So when you start asking, yes, three follow-up questions, and all of a sudden you find out everybody's nodding about a fire extinguisher, but like 10% of the people are really ready to use a fire extinguisher in their home to extinguish a fire that is most likely in the kitchen. So I think that's how the gun world works. I think it's how probably medical training and medical world works. It's, it's all that stuff. And I think by combining the conversation, all of a sudden it's not a conversation about the gun. It's a conversation about preparedness and it's a conversation about preparation for things that are unlikely, but are reasonable to anticipate. And I, I admit gun pro falls right back into that because yeah, we don't think we're going to have somebody break into our house and try to take our gun. We don't think our kids are going to get overly curious and climb up on the shelf and grab the gun. We don't think we're going to be in crisis and need to separate ourselves from the gun, but why not? You know, if we're, if we're going through all this other trouble, do all these other things in our lives that are unlikely, how about we do this too? Have you had much interaction with um, people outside of the gun community about this program? And if so, like, what do they think about it? So good question. In concept, I've talked to people about it and, and, you know, I don't, I don't want anybody to like take this out of context because I, everything we've set up till now, I think is very, very genuine and real and sincere and legitimate. Now, based on your question, Mike, I have to say that there's also an aspect of this that's that's good PR, right? 
the fact that this is something we can say to the media, the people outside of the gun community, to the gun controllers that will point at us and say, you don't care, you're not doing anything. Well, have you heard of GunPro, right? Have you, have you heard of this program that we do where we encourage gun owners to, to talk to other gun owners about the way they need to be responsible and the things they need to do to meet their responsibilities and they commit to one another to assist each other in meeting those responsibilities to include, you know, preventing unauthorized access, getting good training. So, Because, you know, Rob Pincus, I'm out here lobbying for constitutional carry, permitless carry. I don't think there should be mandated training to exercise the civil right of carrying a gun. Oh, you don't think people should get training? No, 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 no. You misunderstood me. I absolutely think people should get training. And in fact, I encourage people to take the gun owner's pledge of responsible ownership where they're committing to get out, to get to getting out and getting the appropriate training for their gun. I just don't think the government should be mandating it. So I, so outside of the gun community, conceptually, these things, it kind of depends. If somebody's neutral, it's flip a coin, whether they're impressed or interested or not. But I have seen a lot of people who are definitely like anti-gun or very pro-gun restrictions who pause when they hear about all the things that organizations like even NSSF, you know, what NSSF does, the programs they put out to prevent straw purchases and things like that, the way they educate gun shops and how to avoid those kinds of things, the stuff Walk Talk America is doing, the stuff that, that I'm doing on behalf of Walk Talk America. Um, and again, GunPro as an extension or, or sort of a, a sister project, I guess, to cause a pause in a, in a more detailed way. I, I think these things do have impact with, with people who maybe just because they don't know any better have been made to think gun owners don't care. We're, uh, I want to be sensitive to your time because I know you got a jet, but I want to ask this. You're, uh, you're in a weird position advocating what seems to be against your own self-interest, which is to make money training people. Similarly, I had an opportunity to advocate for a mandate in Nevada to provide cultural competence training. And I actually spoke against that in the legislature. I said, I don't think that the government should be mandating cultural competence trainings, even though I'm part of an organization that does provide cultural competence trainings. If, if I wanted to, I could leverage the power of government to compel people into these trainings and profit off of it. I don't believe that's correct. I don't think it's right. Um, help, help us reconcile why you would advocate against something that would otherwise probably provide a, big, a more robust revenue stream for you? I came to the revenue stream because I was passionate about educating people, you know? So I think, I think that's the answer. It wasn't like I was looking around trying to find the most profitable thing for me to do and, and then figuring out if I had the skill sets to do it and, and building a business, right? So like my business plan is, is, you know, that's not really a thing. So I'm, I'm passionate about education. I'm passionate about responsibility. And whenever you mandate something, what I've seen, what brief time in the military, time in law enforcement, certainly providing training to a lot of the public sector, military, law enforcement, uh, license security. When you mandate something, people seem to become less interested in the actual material. And they're really just there to sort of check the box, collect the certificate and get on to whatever they were interested in, getting the job, um, you know, going to the place, uh, qualifying for the SWAT team instead of being a regular police officer, whatever the thing was. And it's not really the training that they put value in. So again, I, I, while it may, it, you could argue, and if they, I've said this before, if, if you know, the, the government, the government calls me up tomorrow and says, Rob, we're putting you in charge and, and we're going to pay you guys fairly for it. But you and your team of instructors across the country are going to do all the concealed carry permit training, but you've got to tell us what you want in the course. I'm going to say no, right? I, it, like I can't 
in good conscience, take that job, take that position. Now, what I could do is get really creative, right? And I could say, okay, cool. I think that it's going to be a really short course and we're going to talk about civil rights and all the money is going to get split up between, you know, WTTA and Firearms Policy Coalition and Guns for Everyone National and Second Amendment Organization. Just we'll just put all the money there, right? Like you, 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 could, because what happens? The minute I say no on my, you know, integrity pedestal, then some other guy comes in and says yes. And then all of a sudden we've got the NRA basic pistol course as the de facto required training. So there is this nuance, right? If the government's going to mandate training, you know, that's bad. And that's really what I'm fighting against. So, so the no is to the concept, and and I don't ever see that government call you know call coming. Obviously, um, nor would I support it. And much like you said, if in that position to say you could financially benefit from providing your classes as you teach them now, but we're going to mandate them, I'm still going to say no. You know, and, and it's it's how do you do it? Why well, I'm still going to teach the classes. Um, Edgar Antion from uh, Guns for Everyone. I mean, he's had. Like he's approaching a hundred thousand people have been through the programs that he and his team run and they are free classes to get your concealed carry permit class. And it's amazing the backlash, negative backlash he's got from other people in the gun community because he's out here doing this thing that Colorado mandates, but he's doing it for free. And that's antithetical to a lot of people who are trying to make money off of this stuff. So I think that's, that's where I would be like, sure, I'll take the job, but I'm not taking any money. And by the way, I don't think that job, should exist. So let's let's really talk about why we're trying to mandate and what we're trying to mandate because you cannot mandate responsibility. Well, that sounds like a good place to end. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for all the work uh, you guys continue to do and and uh, giving giving me and others the opportunity to have learned more about you know our own mental health and and the way mental health aspects do interact with with gun ownership. It's a big part. It's it's been uh, two years since you were first on the podcast. Um, I think we would be remiss if we didn't ask Mike's concluding question, even though you've already been on. Um, but you know how how do you tend to your mental health these days? It's it's for me it's it's really about interacting with other people, um, making sure that that I'm being checked on. I think it's it's like a re- almost a reverse psychology, right? Like if I ask people the questions. Sometimes that I, I need to make sure I'm being asked because we can all sit back. I think maybe not all, but a lot of us can sit back and say, no, I'm fine. But am I really fine? You know, and if I'm asking the people I care about those hard questions, they tend to come back at me with those hard questions and it forces conversations that I might not otherwise be com- comfortable with. So, you know, I have the, the luxury, I guess, of constantly like interacting with people that I don't interact with all the time. So, so if I haven't seen somebody for four, five, six months, it's a very natural part of the conversation. So, hey, what's been going on? And are you cool? And, and what, you know, I, did you had this thing and is that thing resolved or whatever? Because it's, it's almost like you're always catching up or you're always reconnecting. And when you see everybody every day, when you're in a small circle and you see people every day, I think it's harder to have those kinds of reconnecting moments, you know, because like why on a random Tuesday am I just going to ask the guy that I'm sitting in a cubicle next to for eight hours a day? Hey, man, are you Okay. Cause now the guy's like, well, did I do something weird? Did I, did I say something? Did you ever, did you hear one of my calls? Are you reading my emails? As opposed to the guy I haven't seen in four or five months, which is literally every weekend. I'm with someone I haven't seen in, you know, three, four, five, six months. It's much easier to do those catch up things. So I found that to be a really nice, like therapeutic way to engage with other people. And then uh, for me, my, my time with my daughters is a good time to shut everything down. That stresses me out for the most part. Now she stresses me out if, 
like she's whining about something, you know, I know you like pizza. Don't tell me you don't like pizza. That'll stress me out, but in a very different way, you know? So uh, hanging out with her is always the, the way to shut off all the, the drama in life. Well, that's awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing GunPro and glad we got to do it on this platform and hopefully it intrigues more people and gets them to uh, commit to that to that pledge. I think the more of us that we have interconnected and networked with one another, the safer and more responsible we'll all be. So proud of you for doing that and thanks for supporting us. Sure. Thanks a lot, guys. That's it for us. Uh, as usual, we thank our platinum sponsors, Arms Corps slash Rock Island Armory and Ruger. Appreciate you guys stepping up to the plate. If anybody wants to be a sponsor, reach out to us at admin at WTTA.org. We'll happily take your financial support or any other way you can support us by distributing literature in your community. That's a great way to expose people to what we're doing. And on behalf of our Walk the Talk family and our Zephyr Wellness family and our PDN family, thanks for tuning in. See you. A lot of us can sit back and say, no, I'm fine. But am I really fine?